The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. You take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read uh, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Well, we come uh, to now the description of love and just a uh, reminder as we go through this passage, uh, there's, a, there's a poetic quality to the passage. Um, in all likelihood, Paul is the one who composes this poem. In other words, I don't think he uses a pre-existing poem he does that on occasion, by the way, uses a pre-existing hymn. Uh, but I think Paul writes this, and he writes it for the sake of the Corinthians, and really has this, uh, this beautiful poetic quality to it. But really what we have as we go through 1 Corinthians 13, especially 4 through 7, is we have really, in a sense, a, a practical description of Christian love. We don't, have, we don't have a technical definition of love. We don't have a theological definition of love. What we have is a practical description of Christian love. And the descriptions are going to fall into two primary categories. Uh, we're going to see love is and then love does not. So we have positive descriptions. We have negative descriptions. But one of the things about the descriptions is that they, um, they are uh, attitudinal and behavioral, okay? So I, I'm going to make a big deal of the fact that the, the, the Greek text actually, these are all verbs, all right? In our translations, we're not going to go into why we do this, but in our translations, we translate uh, these as adjectives. We, so we say love is, and then we put in the adjective patient. Um, and there's a reason why you do that translationally. But remember, these are verbs. They're describing the, the characteristic actions of love. They... They explain what love does and what love does not. Okay? Um, but we could make a mistake in thinking that, um, that by describing love by verbs, by action words, that the only thing that Paul really cares about is that we do the right actions. You already know that's not true, right? Because 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3, is all about the right actions. And doing the right actions without love. So, I say attitudinal and behavioral. Attitudinal in that 
there is, um, before love can ever manifest itself as an action, there has to be uh, the reality of it in the heart, okay? It's not like you just, um, let's say you're just like a really impatient person, since we're going to do love is patient. You're just like a really irritable, impatient person, and all God's telling you to do is just act patient, He cares about the action, but he cares about the heart from which the action proceeds. And so, as Paul uh, goes through this, what he's really describing is he's describing for us Christian ethics that start with the heart. Christian conduct that starts with the Spirit's transformation of what's in here. Uh, By the way, um, have you ever met anybody that was just sort of, let's say, just naturally patient? I think I did one time, but I can't remember for sure. Um, I think, you know, uh, you know, you become a grandparent, automatically you become like the most patient person with these little kids. I mean, and then your kids look at you and they're like, you'd have beat the tar out of me for that. And they're like, well, you know, we got to be patient. Um, some people might have, uh, some of these descriptions, some people may have a natural disposition towards these things, right? It's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about learn how to develop better natural dispositions. He's talking about a transforming work of the Spirit of God that makes us more like Jesus. By the way, if you start to resemble the descriptions in verses 4 through 7, you'll be like Jesus. Okay. That's, that's something for us to keep in mind. So we start off with two positives, love is, three negatives, love is not, love does not, then four negatives, then a balanced couplet of a negative and a positive, and then four positives with all things attached. Okay, that's the outline. All right? Okay, so first, love is patient. Now, um, just out of curiosity, how many of you feel like you struggle with patience? Okay. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, come and lay hands on me afterwards, please. All right? Um, Love is patient. I think all of us feel the need to be a more patient person, right? Okay. So let's let's take apart what Paul says. The King James here actually gets the verbal idea because it says love suffers long. So that's that's a better verbal idea by the way than love is patient. Uh one commentator says uh love waits patiently which that's, that's actually pretty good because it conveys 
um, sort of the Old Testament concept, and it gives us a verbal idea. So if you go and you look up this word, makrothemia, in the Greek lexicon, you'll see that the first entry is this, to remain tranquil while waiting. To remain tranquil while waiting. And you automatically think, well, if somebody give me a tranquilizer, I could be tranquil while waiting, right? But you get the idea. So tranquil while waiting. So to have patience. And, of course, the idea is to wait. Now, the second entry is, is the one that's more relevant, and that is to bear up under provocation without complaint, Okay, so automatically we know that's the wrong definition. (laughs) Because it's clearly the most painful definition. To bear up under provocation without complaint. Be patient, or older word, forbearing. So automatically, here we are four minutes into the message and all of us feel guilty, right? All of us are under conviction. So here's, here's a, a fascinating thing about the word, though. The, the, the Hebrew idea is, uh, so the, the Greek word makrothemia is, uh, in a sense, like long to wrath or slow to wrath. The Hebrew idiom is long of nose, And it's long of nose because the idea was is that uh, when a person gets angry, his nose becomes red and burns. But when he's a compassionate person, his nose becomes long, so long, in fact, that it takes a long time for it to get completely red. Right? It's really a lovely metaphor. And so, um, I mean, if you think long red noses are... Lovely. So you get this. The idea is long-tempered, long-suffering. So um, to be a patient person, right, is to be a person who understands what it is to be in a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation. Or, in the face of misfortune, we'd say a frowning providence. And to be in that state without irritation or complaint. Lao and Nita, which is another Greek lexicon, says in a number of languages, so they're giving tips to translators, this is interesting, in a number of languages, patience is expressed idiomatically, like it is in Hebrew. For example, to remain seated in one's heart, to keep one's heart from jumping, to have a heart that waits. So the call to patience, obviously, so love is patient. This is, um, this is a, a challenging one, right? I mean, it's a challenging one to me. So in the, in, in the face of any kind of provocation, 
remain in a state of calmness without complaint. I have not mastered that yet. But I know who has. I know who has. So here's here's the thing as as we look at these, you know, you know, there's there's a way to there's a way to preach these kinds of lists that uh just really just in a sense just seek to destroy. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like just mow you over with the freight train of guilt. So, moms, how you doing on this one with your kids? So, dad, how you doing this one with your teenager? So, husbands, how is that state of emotional calm without complaint with your wifey? And then, of course, you go, ah, I'm smitten or smote, (laughs) right? Because smitten, you might be like, oh, smitten. Smote, I'm, I, oh, just a knife in the heart is killing me. So, but what I want you to think about tonight is not, wow, I never do that. I'm a terrible person. I must not be loving. It's not what I want you to do tonight. If I was preaching this 20 years ago, that's probably exactly what I would have wanted you to do. But now that I'm older, wiser, more compassionate and loving, I don't want you to do that. And the reason I don't want you to do that is because it doesn't do you any good. Just to sit there and go, love is patient, and I'm not patient, I am terrible, doesn't do you any good. Just beat your head up against the wall and just tell yourself how terrible you are, doesn't do you any good. You want to you grow in this love is patient, then 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 here's what we have to do. We have to, first of all, look at God. That's what we do. And he's got patience down. One of the classic texts that is one of the most repeated texts in the Old Testament, Exodus 34, 6. So Moses is up on the mountain, he's in the cleft of the rock. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, God, Yahweh, Yahweh, Elohim, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. It is, it is that it is the very essence of God to be slow to anger. Luther used to say that uh, that the wrath of God was the mysterious, strange work of God. Mercy is what he delights in. And so here's this this picture of God who is, he's compassionate, he's gracious, slow to anger. That is, he is patient. He abounds in loving kindness and truth. Nahum 1.3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. Romans 2.4, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance 
and patience. Not knowing that his kindness leads you to repentance. Oh, do you think do you think for Paul, patience and kindness go together? Not only do they in Romans 2 4, but also in the fruit of the Spirit, by the way. Second Peter 3 9, the Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 3.15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom which was given to him. And so here's, here's, here's where you start. God's patience towards me every single day is my salvation. God is more patient with me every day, every hour, every minute. He is more patient with me than I could ever imagine. Because I'm going to tell you what, if I were God, I'd have killed Brian Borgman a long time ago. I'd have squashed me like a worm a long time ago. How do you feel when somebody comes to you and asks you for forgiveness for the same thing for the 12,000th time? Would you bear that? God does. God does. Every day. If, if, okay, so if you don't know if you don't have a, like the, the, the beginning idea of how patient God is with you, then you're lacking knowledge in two areas. One, how rotten you are. And two, how wonderfully patient God really is. Okay. You do realize that even sitting here tonight so let's just let's just like get like wildly imaginative and say let's say over the last 5 minutes your mind has wandered i know in a group like this you guys don't have minds that wander you're you're laser locked on the truth even wandering mind you know And uh, let's say that mind wanders to something that's, you know, just sort of neutral. You know, you're sitting here listening, patience, state of emotional calm, and then you're freaking out. Did I leave the coffee pot on? Or maybe your mind's wandering and you're thinking about something bad. Maybe you're thinking about something sinful. Maybe you start harboring some sinful thoughts about somebody. You do realize that if God were to give every one of us what we deserve just within the last five minutes, 
we would all be in hell. Not a single one of us in the last five minutes that have loved the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength as we should, nor is there a single one of us here who has loved our neighbor as ourselves and our sins are an affront to a holy God and God says, I love you and because I love you, I am patient with you. How many of you have grown in the Christian life like you should? You're exactly where you should be. So, you know, some of us have been Christians for a long time, you know. And so, uh, you know, I became a Christian in 1980. So that's a long time ago. And, you know, that's almost 40 years ago. And 40 years being a Christian, you know, you'd think that, you know, 40 years of, you know, doing this day after day and year after year, you know, you might think that I might be better at it than I am. How many of you are where you should be given the time that you've been in Christ? And the answer is there's not a single one of us here that's even close to where we should be. There's not a single one of us here that's that's utilized the, the benefits and the privileges of God's grace that he's given to us day after day after day. And yet God doesn't say, you know what? I am so sick and tired of your spiritual retardation that I'm done with you. I know that's not a politically correct word. I'm sorry. I'm just done with you. You're a spiritual moron. You not only have to go to summer school, you're going to have to go to summer school for all eternity. (laughs) God could just say, I'm just done with you. And he doesn't. He's patient. Slow to anger. That's God. And the character of the Lord Jesus is, is, is no different. Paul could say, so, so did Paul know what it was to be sort of the rotten guy, right? And so he says, he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, as foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So here's, here's the great thing. So God's patient with you and he's patient with me so that we could be the poster children for perfect patience. See, hey, you want to see somebody God should have killed a long time ago and he didn't? Boom, there's your picture. You want to see somebody that God has just, that, 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 that the Lord Jesus just has just shown, did you notice that line? Perfect patience. What's perfect patience? Perfect patience. You and I live. We live by the patience God. And so, the fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, patience. So what I take that to mean as a fruit of the Spirit is, so the Father and the Son take up residency in me by His Holy Spirit, and His Holy Spirit is conforming me more into the image of Christ, which means one of the things that he's working on is love is patient. He's committed to that in me. He's committed to transforming me by his spirit so that I learn more and more and more what it is to be in a state of emotional calm, even under provocation, without complaint or irritation. I've known some of you for a long time. And there's a thing that happens with with us as Christians that we need to really sort of reckon with. And that is, there you are, you, you know, you're going along, and let's say it was today, just, just like, just hypothetically say, today was not a good day. And you were impatient. And you're disappointed in yourself. You feel a sense of guilt, sense of frustration with yourself. You know that there should be more growth and you've confessed your sin, but you still feel this sense of when am I ever going to change? Do you know that your state of being seated in your heart is better today? than it was five years ago? Well, how do you know that? Because the one who began the good work in you will complete it. We, we, get, we get very myopic in terms of our, of our failures, and sometimes what we need to do is we need to step back and we need to say, yeah, look at that. God is at work. If the stuff that would have happened today would have happened five years ago, I'd have killed all my kids. <laughs> they're, they're still breathing. Praise God, I'm growing. The Spirit of God working in you. And you are not what you used to be. Some of you, and I know this by just by experience with you, something would happen and you would freak out. You would panic like it was the end of the world. You'd leave my office and I'd say to myself, you should be named Chicken Little. Okay. So don't look at old directories. So I write Chicken Little or Eeyore next to everyone. <laughs> so here you are today. You don't freak out. 
You don't panic. You don't think the sky is falling. Maybe you don't handle it as well as you should. But you're not where you were five years ago or ten years ago. Why is that? Because the Father and the Son have taken up residency in you by His Spirit and is producing in you the very qualities and characteristics of God Himself. Now, that does not mean that you say, I'm so glad to hear that. Now I don't even need to try. That's not the conclusion. Because patience is not only the fruit of the Spirit, it's something that we're commanded to do, right? So Paul says, Ephesians 4, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. And so it's not only the spirit of God working in you, producing this in you, it's also the uh, the exhortation for you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And part of that walk is to walk in patience. So you, you understand that the Christian life is, uh, is, is, is both God doing and you doing. You know that, right? The Christian life is, is not uh, let go and let God, okay? Whoever came up with that should be hanged. Um, there, that's, it's just sort of a passive way of looking at the Christian life. So on the one hand, uh, I rejoice to know that, that God as the sovereign Lord and loving Father of my life is working in me and there's nothing that's going to stop that work. I, I, th- that, is, that is my confidence. I am confident that I'll get to heaven and when I breathe my last, I'm confident that I will be holier than when I started but not because of me, but because of him. That's where my confidence is. And so I have that confidence. He's working in me. But then I also have this, uh, this calling and this, um, these imperatives, these commands telling me, and you need to do this. So a lot of times in the Bible, ethics that is the way that God's working in us in moral transformation, on the one hand is God doing it, and then we ourselves doing what God is doing. So I need to work at patience. By the way, do I have a passage that actually tells me that it's both? Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Who does that? Who's supposed to do that? You are. See, there's this really simple thing. It's called the second person, right? You work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? 
Sounds serious. I think the fear and trembling part sort of underscores the seriousness of it, right? Work it out with fear and trembling. Four, because it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So don't don't miss this dynamic because what this means is that you can go to God. So let's say, let's say just like, you know, hypothetically, you might struggle with patience. And you go to God and you can say this. You can say, Lord, you're at work in me. I'm yours. I, I, I am actually your workmanship created in Christ Jesus, created for good works, which you prepared beforehand, that I should walk in them. So I know what your will in my life is. God's will is not an Easter egg hunt here. I know God wants me to be patient, and I know God is working in me to be patient. And so I can say, Lord, I know you want me to be patient, and I know you're working in me to be patient. And now I pray that you would help me both to will and to do your good pleasure, which is to be patient. Just asking you to do in me what you've already promised to do. By the way, when you ask God to do what he's already already promised he's going to do, then you can be pretty sure he's going to do it. So there's this, there's this, this exhortation, this, this command, this uh, moral imperative. Paul turns around, he says in, uh, in Colossians 3, he says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You understand, I hope you understand what, what is kind of coming out here, and that is that the, the command to be patient is based on what God has already done, what he's already made you. You know, there's a grammatical structure for this, right? It's the indicative and the imperative. So, in this text, by the way, if you don't get this, you'll be like a little hamster on a wheel trying to be what God wants you to be and never getting there. So, here's here's the imperative. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But you understand that the imperative, that is the command, is not just, hey, put on a heart of patience. Chill out. It's based on the indicative, which is this. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy, and beloved. In other words, the way that I put on a heart of patience is by remembering 
what God has done for me, what God has done in me, and who I am by His grace. The elect of God, chosen of God. If God set his love and affection upon me freely, unconditionally, in eternity past, and decided to make me his forever, not because of what I had done, but because of his mercy and grace in Christ Jesus, then do you not think that he is committed in, to bringing me to the full conformity to the image of Christ? If I am the elect of God, if I'm chosen of God, God chose me for a purpose and God's purposes are not thwarted. So then, chosen of God, holy, separated, different. When when you don't when you don't feel like being patient or you're struggling to be patient, you know what? You, you have to stop and you have to remind yourself, you know what? God has set me apart for his purposes. He's made me different. He sanctified me. I'm not what I used to be. I'm chosen, I'm holy, and I'm beloved. He loves me. He tells me to put on a heart of compassion and patience because he's compassionate and patient with me. And so he's going to provide for me what I need and what I don't have in and of myself. You know, Augustine had this magnificent prayer. Command whatever thou wilt and then grant whatever you command. God, you can tell me to do anything and I'll do it as long as you help me, as long as you supply me with the grace, as long as you give me the power. You know, one of the problems is, is here we have this, uh, this, this wonderful, magnificent calling in the Christian life and, 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 and it's, it, some of this stuff is stuck in the back of our head and then we live our daily life, as if God's not there to help us. And all we hear is, be patient, be patient, be patient. And if we listen carefully enough, God's saying, I'll give you the grace to be patient. You have not. Because you ask not. So love, love compels us to be patient with other people. Right? You, you do understand that this is with other people. <laughs> of course I'm patient. It's one of my finest abstract qualities. <laughs> of course I'm patient. I stay at home all day and never see anybody. Patience, right? So love compels us to be patient with other people. So let me just let me just sketch for you what that ought to look like. 
to wait on God when others aren't acting right. I should probably like say these three times a piece. To wait on God when others are not acting right. I should qualify that there are going to be times where these are not absolutes. Okay. So the example I use in the Greek classes, you know, you're not you're not being called to patiently wait on somebody while they're abusing your kids is an example all right there in in other words this is not just some sort of you know so here you are just uh you know being pummeled and um abused and and you hear me say uh just wait on god until the other person stops acting wrong that's not what we're saying okay not what we're saying okay but Let's face it, most of our situations with other people are not extreme situations that are causing us harm, right? Now, waiting on God when others aren't acting right, recognize the right time for biblical confrontation. Recognize the right time. For biblical confrontation. Okay. Now, let me just say, love seeks to recognize the right time for biblical confrontation. Now, why do I have to say that? Well, because some of you, in the name of love, never would confront anybody ever at all and just say, oh, I just love them too much to tell them that they're sinning. Okay? That's not love. That's cowardice. It's the fear of man. Others of you are like, he dropped the gum wrapper. Hey, you polluter of God's earth, pick that up right now or I will smite thee on the cheek. And you just live for confrontation. In fact, that's, that's, (laughs) you, you love it, right? Love looks for the right time to biblically confront. Which on the one hand presupposes you need to biblically confront, and on the other hand, it doesn't mean that you're biblically confronting every time somebody does something slightly wrong. Love prevents us from making rash judgments and snap criticisms. I mean, I don't need to spend any time on this because I don't think anybody here would actually be prone to do such a thing. (laughs) How many of you have ever seen somebody, heard somebody, and you made a, a decision about them and then you were proven wrong? Hmm. You don't have to raise your hand, just nod your head. Okay. So, since Ariel's not here, I'll tell this story, because Ariel hates this story. 
we're at the old building, and I'm, if you remember the old building, I'm walking down the hallway over where the nurseries were on either side, and at the end of the hallway, the glass doors over there, and I see in big green letters, Alex. I turn around, and I'm on the hunt for this little blonde-haired kid named Alex. And I grabbed him, and I brought him over, and I said, why would you write your name on the wall in the church? Dad, I didn't. Your name's Alex? Dad, I didn't. So I spanked him. I spanked him for writing on the wall. And then I spanked him for lying to me. And then about two weeks later, little Jenna Hammond says, Hey, Pastor Brian, look what my brother wrote on the wall. Well, his name was Alex. (laughs) So... Sometimes we rush to judgment. Sometimes we, Ariel hates that story because she thinks I should have apologized, but no. (laughs) I did. I asked him for forgiveness, told him what a terrible person I was. Um, Sometimes we just are quick to criticize somebody. We have no, we have no, We don't have enough knowledge of their situation, their life, their circumstances, and we rush to judgment because they don't do something like we would. Love doesn't do that. It's patient. It withholds judgment. Withholds harsh criticism. Love prevails upon us to be calm. (laughs) Love prevails upon us to be calm and prevents us from asserting our rights or harboring resentment. You understand, love suffers long, precludes harboring resentment. Harboring resentment is not living out love is patient. So love suffers long, it waits patiently, it bears up without complaint. And so here we have this profound and and weighty responsibility to be a love is patient kind of person. He who is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he rules his spirit. And he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Be patient with them all. How do I do that? 
that seems so insurmountable. How do I do that? Here's what you don't do. You don't say, you know, I'm, I'm patient with other people. It's just you that I have a problem with. Yeah, I'll tell you what, you, you know, laugh because it's kind of funny, but I've been sitting down with couples and, have, you know, I don't have an anger problem. The only person I ever get mad at is her. Well, dummy, you've got an anger problem. You you understand that the mistake that we make is we think that the manifestation of patience really has to do with that which is outside of us. And if the circumstances could just be right, if that kid would just do his homework, I wouldn't be so impatient. Oh, so you mean the very opportunity God is providing for you (laughs) to manifest love is patient is the reason why you're not patient. Doesn't work that way. So, So here, impatience is... Impatience is a problem in here, not out here. Okay? Right? As much as we might not like to think that way, that's the truth. Um, My impatience is, is right in here. Circumstances just simply provide an opportunity for it to come out. Okay? So I want you to hear these words from Paul in Colossians 1. Verse 9, he says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. So, did you hear that? So I would be strengthened, this is Paul's prayer for us, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of of steadfastness and patience. Where does it come from? It comes from God strengthening me in the inner man by his glorious might. How does he do that? He doesn't just do it, you know, just like out of the sky and automatically. Oh, no, well, hold on a second. Sometimes he might do that. Okay. Sometimes there may be a crisis moment where you know you don't have a snowball's chance in Hades. 
And all of a sudden, something happens that is inexplicable, and it is as if the Spirit of God has landed on you as like a dove. And after it, you're thinking, what just happened? A miracle, that's what happened. (laughs) A miracle, a real bona fide miracle. But you don't rest on that. It's not promised to happen the next time. The next time, it may be a little harder. And so, listen to Paul again. I read verse 12 from chapter 3 earlier to you in Colossians, but just listen. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. And whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord also forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So, how in the world do I extend this way Patience, compassion, forgiveness. Paul actually tells us. I realize what's happened this way. The only way that we grow in being a long-suffering person is that we need to cultivate what God is already doing in us. Now, why do I emphasize what God is already doing in us? Because if he wasn't doing it, you wouldn't have any hope. He's already doing it in you. So what, what are the, oh, what are the, the magical keys There are none. There's just these old-fashioned things called meditation and prayer and memorization and prayer. Are you kidding? I'm on the brink of like, you know, stringing up my husband. What's meditation do? Meditation mulls over God's patience with you. You should be able to meditate on God's patience to you not as some some abstract theological quality, but as real patience that has been the preservation of your life. You should be able to meditate on God's patience with you, and it should bring you to tears. It should melt your heart. And you meditate on texts, and you meditate on God's patience, and you meditate on... Uh, Exodus 34, 6, and you, you mull it over in your head and, 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 and you think and, and you think about, Lord, 
help me see how you were patient with me today. Then think back to those, to those big monumental events in your life where, where if God would have given you what you deserved, you'd have been an unsightly cinder right there on the spot and meditate on the monumental patience of God to you. Meditate on the minute patience of God to you. Meditate on his patience to you and then pray it in. And then take texts. Take texts that talk about patience. God's patience to you, the requirement of your patience to others. And commit two or three of them to memory. Why? Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. If I, if I actually, if I, if I find that, that this is really an issue for me, then I, I have to understand that, that love grows in a heart that's cultivated with the word and with prayer. And so, let me just say this, if you're struggling with patience and you never make any progress in patience, but you never pray about it, you never meditate on God's patience with you, nor do you ever commit to memory any passages on patience, don't be surprised if you don't grow in patience. Fertilize it. Till it up, cultivate it. Buy post-it notes and stick them on the mirror. Why? Because patience comes out of a heart of love and a heart of love is cultivated as the Spirit of God works the Word in us and transforms us by the truth. And then be quick to seek forgiveness for failure and be quick to express thanks for no matter how small the victory. Lord, I didn't kick the dog. Thank you. For those of you that don't know me, you have to understand all of my illustrations are extemporaneous, and so some of them are a little, you know, um, but don't take them seriously. Lord, that guy from California just cut me off, and I just, like, waved at him. All my fingers were together. (laughs) Give thanks to God for the small victories. Lord, you're at work in me. Gave me the will to do that. Thank you. Why? Because gratitude is cultivation. Confession is cultivation. And so, brothers and sisters, God wants us to look more and more like Jesus, which means love suffers long.
Let's pray. Father, some of us feel as if we have blown this so many times, and I pray that you'd give us hope tonight. I pray that you would reinstill in us your commitment to us, your work in us. Father, I pray that, that everyone who knows you would have a wonderful sense of confidence that you're going to complete the work. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would take these truths and plant them deep in us in a way that we manifest the very character and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you for that hymn tonight, how we ought to meditate on that. We thank you for the deep, deep love of Jesus. And we pray that it would be ours more and more and more. In his name we pray, amen. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.